What's next for IT? In today's economy, technology touches every aspect of the day-to-day operations of business. There has never been more pressure on IT to deliver for our organizations. So what can we expect over the next decade? We need to think differently about how we approach our work to continue to thrive into the future. This requires all of us to be intentional in how we look at our role going forward. Smart IT is an approach to getting the important things done by transforming the way we think, work, and lead. And now, let's disrupt the status quo, simplify the complex, and reduce risk the Smart IT way. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Smart IT Podcast. Today, I would like to welcome Douglas Ferguson to the show. Douglas Ferguson founded a company called Voltage Control, which we'll talk about a little bit later. He's a thought leader and master facilitator of change, culture, and technology. He's also the author of four books, including Magic Meetings, Beyond the Prototype, How to Remix Everything, and How to Start Within. He has published in Forbes, Fast Company, Innovation Leader, and is a regular contributor to the human-centered change. He publishes weekly on a podcast called Control the Room. Douglas, welcome today. Hey, thanks for having me, William. It's uh, It's been a while since we chatted and excited to do it on a recording here. I know. I think it's been a couple of years uh, since we've had a chance to hang out and talk. I think I came to one of your training classes uh, before. I was just blown away with all the work that you and Vulture Control has been doing. So it's been a great pleasure to kind of bring you on board the, uh, the Smart IT Podcast. Yeah, it's great to be here. Well, on this show, um, uh, Douglas, we're all about trying to look forward to the future. Talking about IT, information technology as a profession, as an entity, kind of that technology engine for businesses as they kind of uh, adjust themselves to market disruptions, different changes in the industry to figure out how they can be competitive in the marketplace. So we're focusing on IT and um, all the things that I can look forward to in the next decade. And as we think about some of the things that the IT leadership team is um, facing, a lot of it is around the people's um, soft, as they saw, soft skills side of the house. So things like leadership, communications, human-centered design. And uh, when I started to think about this podcast, your, your name popped up immediately. We're talking about the things for like communication and leadership and then the, the F word. So that F word of facilitation, right? How do you, how do leaders facilitate things inside of their groups and teams to basically help deliver for their business? So let's take a little step back, um, Douglas, uh, and just talk a little bit about facilitation and kind of your journey. Like, how'd you get into this whole thing called facilitation? And, and for our audience who doesn't know what facilitation is, can you kind of give us a little background on that? Yeah, absolutely. Maybe I'll start there just to give some context as you're hearing the story. Um, you know, if you really get to the Latin root of the word facilitation is from the Latin root facili, which, you know, is about uh, to make easy. So we're essentially going to make things easier. And, you know, often you might use it as a verb. Um, hey, I, 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 what were you doing there? Well, I was just facilitating an introduction. You know, I'm sure you've heard the word used in that way. Well, imagine if, if we take that a little bit further into a craft, into a skill set, into a set of tools, 
that we can use to make work easier, to make collaboration easier, to make um, it easier to understand and relate to one another. And I'll come back to a word you used earlier, which was soft skills. I think that's something that gets used a lot. And often soft skills are um, are a bit of a misnomer, and I like to refer to them as people skills. So if we're making it easier for people, that's really what facilitation is about. And I found my way into this work through um, a very circuitous path. And you know, as a as someone who trains and mentors facilitators uh, at Voltage Control, our facilitation academy, uh, it's it's not surprising that I found this through a circuitous path because. There's no straight path to becoming a facilitator. Everyone finds it in their own unique way. And uh, I'm no different than most other people. I was um, uh, in that regard, but uh, but unique in my own path. So I was a software developer and uh, became a CTO. I was managing software people and then ultimately uh, managing designers and product people, kind of owning the whole product development lifecycle. And... I wasn't just uh, curious in technology for technology's sake. I was always interested in how people can work their best together and how we can create sustainable work practices and processes by which we can just do better. And through that journey, just built a lot of tools and a lot of um, uh, techniques that I was interested in. And I guess the, the real pivotal moment for me was when Google Ventures invested in my startup and I got to work directly with the Google Ventures design team who were using facilitation and specifically a technique called a design sprint to help their portfolio startups be more um, competitive with, with, the comp- with, with others in the market. And so that was my aha moment that, wait a second, you can actually take these facilitation skills and it actually was the first time I applied the label facilitation to the stuff that I was doing and started to realize that, wait a second, this is like real leadership. This is how we show up and we're there for people and we help people solve tough problems. And so that was to me that, that moment with the Google Ventures team when they, when they actually came on site and I, were, were there with me and my team. And I started to realize, wait a second, these people travel around for a living and do this. This, 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 it really called to me, even though I was a CTO, I thought I can, I can do this in, in my own unique way. And it's very interesting. I think most people think of, Hey, you're in it, you got the manager title, you got 10, 20, maybe 50 people below you. Maybe it's even larger. So you have some managers and some managers under that. So, Hey, everybody just knows how to get a couple of people in the room and get stuff done, right? It's got to be easy, right? It's like turn, turn the knob and you can get 10 people to, to develop new code, get another 20 people to kind of support the code, you know, stand up new infrastructure in the cloud. It should all be simple, right? So I think a lot of people may be thinking, you know, what's the big deal about facilitation, right? Can't anybody just manage and get people to do what they needed them to do? Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Mm. You know, it reminds me of uh, <laughs> a question that I often hear or have heard in the past, certainly when training people on facilitation or any of the adjacent kind of training that we do. And, uh, you know, it, it always takes the form of how do I get someone to, you know, fill in the blank. And my, my reaction is always, you don't get people to do anything. It's like, it's like 
saying, how do I make a plant grow? Well, you don't make it grow. You can set the conditions for it to grow, but you can't sit, like imagine standing next to a plant and be like, you know, <laughs> I'm going to make you, you're going to grow for me. And I think that's how we have to think about um, any organism, right? And the humans are no different. And so it's really about setting those initial conditions. Like what is going to create a satisfactory outcome and, and also what's going to create a compelling environment for people to be in. So it's, it's inviting folks in, in ways that provide a direct understanding to purpose. It's providing lots of clarity. It's making sure we're creating a safe environment for people to ask questions and for people to fail. It's even modeling failure as a leadership principle, right? Like we can show that it's okay. And certainly what we don't want to do is uh, make examples of people or kind of freak out in the moment just because things are stressful. It's like, hey, how do, how do we create a condition where it is easier to move forward together? Yeah, because we notice uh, today it's like uh, the business that keep asking IT to do more and do it faster. And they keep talking about innovation. So I know some managers kind of get frustrated because their team isn't uh, innovating fast enough or bringing enough ideas. But then you, if you step into a meeting, you may notice that the leader may be talking the majority of the time. And even though there's 20 people in the room, maybe three people ask a question, maybe four have input. But you notice there's a lot of quiet voices there. Talk a little bit about this, you know, not taking advantage of the full room, right? We People talk about the room is the smartest person in the room itself. So if you have 20 people and you have one person leading, you start to notice this trend, like there's a lot of quiet voices and it's almost like they're being talked to what we're going to do as opposed to kind of inviting a man to say, what are your thoughts? Probe this idea, bring new ideas, challenge, you know, talk about that like almost like suppressing the voice of the entire room um, uh, as an opportunity to say, let's turn it around. Let's, let's bring all 20 voices to the table. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of dynamics there. I mean, for instance, if we go back to when we were all in person in offices or some of you may already be back in offices and you think about the, the marker and the whiteboard that, you know, that marker wields a lot of power. And if I'm going to stand there at the whiteboard with the marker, it sends a signal. Like you're, you, you, I'm asking you to sit back and, and and wait for me to like make the official decision over what gets placed on this board. Handing the marker over to someone is relinquishing that power, right? That's a symbolic gesture. And so I encourage people to think about ways that they can hand over the power. Like even acknowledging power dynamics, very, very critical. And you can do it in simple ways just by posing thoughtful questions and inviting folks into dialogue, using tools like Mural or Miro where, where you're asked to look at a prompt or look at um, some information to generate stuff to maybe um, filter it down. Also, in order for any of that to work, we had to be really clear on our objective. For instance, you mentioned innovating faster, coming up with ideas. Well, what if the leaders, or let's just say you as a leader, want to generate more ideas? Because it's very clear, that's the purpose, that's you're, 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 it's really important to you, and you're seeking that above all else. But let's say that you know two-thirds of your team is expecting a decision to be made. 
and that's not clear to you, right? Yeah. Like going into the session, you're just thinking, we're here to, like, I want ideas. Like you're not expecting a decision to be made. Well, no matter what happens, how thoughtfully you run that session, when people leave that session, they're going to be disgruntled. Because they're like, we didn't make a decision. So we're, everyone is constantly undermining themselves because they're not setting that intention or clarifying it or um, during the session. And so it's really great to, to clarify it beforehand. But it's also good to reinforce it. Just even bringing folks together and say, hey, why are we here? Yeah. Let's, let's get really clear on it, um, either through uh, declaring that as the, as the leader or even just inviting some dialogue so we can discover where there's lack of alignment. We can repair that stuff and then move on. Because the last thing you want is that to be bubbling up in the days and weeks following because or you never hear about it. It's just this little murmurs in the hallways or, or like in the Slack conversations and you wonder why there's no productivity. Yeah, that brings up like two interesting questions or points here. Because if you didn't intentionally structure the session or the meeting with a specific purpose and the 10 people who are showing up don't really know what's going on, that's a problem. And the other problem is they may be uh, assuming the default mode, which is when we get into the meeting, one person is going to basically lead the charge. They're, they're going to hold the pen yes. for the entire hour. So they have no anticipate uh, or no, uh, I'd call it anticipation or let's just say, or, or desire to participate necessarily because they don't expect to get the pen and their default mindset will be, I'm just in listen mode only. I'm in the back seat of the car and I'm not really uh, fully involved. So look at those are two opportunities for the leader to really make improvements there. 100%. And you, you hit the nail on the head on that second one around uh, everyone always talks about engagement and why, why are my people not engaged or how do I get more engagement? And it's that what you described is so important is that expectation not being set. And then they come in not understanding that that they're, that they should play that role. You know, it's a total paradigm shift for them. We have to be clear about that as leaders inform them, tell that story, like capture their hearts and minds around this stuff. And then they're going to be, a lot more engaged because they understand there there's a real opportunity here and um, to put a cherry on top if we design it so that it is engaging yeah. <laughs> rather than just like, you know, so many people when they talk about meetings uh, or just what, what, what is the classic me advice to having good meetings? And the number one thing people will say was uh, things like have an agenda. The problem is when most people think of agendas, they just think of list of topics. Yeah. Well, what about the arc, the experience we want to create? How are we expecting people to show up? What is that purpose that we're trying to like clarify for folks so that they all can come in excited to move things forward in a meaningful way? Um, those are m much more important elements of an agenda than just like, we want to talk about these five things. Yeah, it's another interesting thing. You mentioned the word capture, right? And it seemed like in facilitation, you guys talk a lot about the tooling and even when you're taking the market and uh, putting things on the board or using stickies, it's like when somebody actually speaks up and no one's documenting anything. So did everybody hear it? So talk a little about uh, saying, okay, uh, one person spoke up, had an idea, and then somebody going to the board, putting that idea, capturing on a sticky and putting it on the board, like almost acknowledging what that person just said. Can you talk a little about of just this whole documentation of the journey inside this meeting, what, what that looks like and, and the yeah. importance of it? Yeah, you know, if, if, you, if you don't write it down, it, it didn't happen kind yeah. of thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so 
Um, there's another phenomenon at play here too, which is if if things are getting being said and other people are processing, and then even trying to think about that what thing they're trying to convey and wait for their moment to speak up and convey their thing, you tend to tend to just get this kind of stacking effect. Yeah. It's like thing A, thing B, thing C, and it's just like. It's like just stacking of, of stuff, right? And you don't it, – it's not very um, integrated. It's not, it's not a s- concrete scaffolding that we can really navigate together or build on top of. It's very limited in its um, stability. Whereas if we visualize, if we capture it along the way, we can anchor on those visuals. and We can build structure out of those visuals. It's the same reason I mean, you can think all day long around a blog post you want to write or a novel you want to write or even a, a, a presentation you're going to create for the board or for your investors. But if you until you sit down and write out the outline, it really lacks a lot of structure. And if anyone who's going through that process has to agree with me that when you sit down and you make the outline, clarity starts to emerge. Like even if you thought it all out, the minute you put the outline together – the clear some clarity emerges that wasn't there before and you start to have other ideas. And if you skip that outline step, it's it's you know that your final product suffers. If you think about the times that you outlined versus the times you didn't, you got a yeah. inferior product. Now imagine that's and that's just happens individually. Now imagine when the group is outlining together yeah. or visually capturing the things that are coming out of folks' mouths. So we're getting that structural stuff and it's emerging real time. Versus us having to synthesize it later, we're kind of capturing, we're noticing, we might see as uh, someone says something and it gets captured, someone else pipes in something really quickly, that's cool, we go down that rabbit hole, but guess what, this other thing's still waiting for us, a little reminder not to forget about this. It's like tying a little string around our finger for every little topic that comes up so we can remember to come back to it. It's almost like not losing any voices, any potential thoughts here. Yes. Yes, yeah, because so, it's one thing to have an opportunity to get to speak. It's another thing to have an opportunity for your for your ideas to really be explored. And if we don't capture them and create little little footholds for us to come back to, that exploration rarely happens. And let's talk a little bit more about the uh, a little bit on facilitation, in particular participatory dis, dis, participatory decision making. So, in a traditional way, the personal front maybe say, this is the way we're going to do it. Let's try ideal four. And he has a very strong voice. Two other people speak up and you can go an entire hour of the meeting. And that's the only thing they're talking about, but by this capturing. So let's use sticky notes once again on the board. It's like there's a lot of uh, power to actually manipulate or move or explore different ideas by moving them around on the board and then inviting the people who are bringing those ideas. What do you guys uh, like? So it's like voting right there. So talk about the power of being able to have your teammates vote on something right in front of everybody as opposed to spending an hour on only one idea, leaving a meeting, and then later your, your manager emails you and say, this is the way we're going. And you, it might feel like the voice was just lost, right? Like it got cut and thrown on the ground with no, with no group participation. So talk about that power of moving ideas around, trying different things out, and then having your colleagues sitting right around you, right in front of you. Hey, let's vote on this idea. Let's shrink. 10 ideas down to maybe three great ideas. And then let's get all the input. Everybody can see how the sausage is being made in front of each other. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I will say there is no, 
there's no right or wrong way to do this stuff, right? There's no like be all end all approach to decision making. Cause at times we do need the leader to make a distinct, very declarative decision. Like they need to come in for us and just decide. And I think where a lot of leaders get in trouble is where they don't make that clear. You know, they, they come into the session just hoping to get some ideas so that they can come back and think on it a little bit. If they haven't explained that to the group and the group thinks, oh, we're going to like, he wants my advice. He's going to do whatever I suggest that we do. Then, um, then that can lead to, um, a lot of confusion and, and just strife really. And so I would just make sure, you know, always communicate upfront the intentions. Oh, is this a group decision? Am I going to unilaterally make this decision with your input? Do I, am I seeking just to hear some more? Um, have I already, do I already have a hunch as to what this, what I, where we need to go? And I just want to hear some, some ideas, uh, to the counter just to make sure that, that I can, um, get more solid in my convic- convictions. Or am I going to delegate this decision? Am I saying, Hey, I want, you know, William to go make this decision. And so I think whatever your thinking is, just share that ahead of time and it will, you, that's such an easy thing to do. And so many people forget to do it. And that's one of the number one reasons that people struggle. Now, certainly a thing that doesn't happen enough is group decision-making. And I would say, uh, often decisions can be relegated to the group quite effectively. And, you know, it's such a amazing thing to do to, you know, just delegation superpower, really, because now you're delegating to the entire group. And and what you'll find is um, my my pal, Greg Galley, creative think wrong, has this uh, interesting concept called authorship is ownership. And I, you know, I feel very strongly that you can build advocacy when people um, are involved in the decision making. And I just, I think authorship ownership is a great way to summarize that. And so what's happening when we invite people in to vote, do adopt voting or do these other group decision making protocols, then we're, we're putting them in the driver's seat and they feel empowered because they made a decision. So even if, a different outcome manifests than what they were hoping for, they're going to be more likely to support it. And so that, that dedication and rapid support and that ownership is going to allow you to do more things. So even if you made the wrong decision, it kind of doesn't matter because you'll make more progress. They'll, the, the team will more quickly realize it's a bad decision and then get on to the right decision than they would have even made progress on the other decision <laughs> if you forced it on them, right? Because then they feel like it's they're part of it. They're 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 really owning it. And in fact, I hate the word buy-in. You know, most people would say, "Oh yeah, they're bought in." I'm like, no, no, <laughs> buy-in means you're they got sold something. If you're if you're if you're getting buy-in, you're selling stuff. Stop selling yeah. stuff. Like get people to like have a place in a decision. Invite discussion. And then use decision making protocol like dot voting. You can you can you can have a simple majority. You can have a super majority. You can do things like gradients of agreement, where like you know 
like uh, one, one that I love is like, I'm thumbs up on this. I'm neutral. I'm negative. And you, a lot of times with these gradients, if there's one negative, like no one moves forward. Oh, interesting. So if one person vetoes yeah. it, we can't move forward on that idea. If people are neutral, they're expressing concern that they're going to allow it to move forward. And so these can be really great ways to get a, a team unlocked and moving quickly um, without trying to just like needling ideas to death. Cause we certainly don't want to discuss it to the point where like no one's excited about yeah. doing any of it anymore. <laughs> well, I'm seeing quite a bit of uh, benefits here. Like one is right off the bat, kind of eliminate the blame game. Like if, you, yes. so if you're not involved in decision-making at all and they just send you the email from the leader, like, Hey, this is what we're going to do. And then it, it fails. You say, well, that guy or gal, that's, that's their fault. But when everybody's in on, in on the decision-making process, even if you don't disagree, you, you've seen the process. So seeing to actually speed up, making it a course correction. Cause you heard the, the different perspective, you heard the inputs. So you're much faster than making that change. That's like a, seem to be another benefit. And the other one is just like, Hey, at the end, we just say, we just, we just made the wrong decision. Let's move on. It's not like that group over there, which had limited visibility. So I'm seeing a lot of benefits here, um, to this. And I keep going back to the, the word you mentioned, the intent being intentional about it, right? So intent about what intentional about why you're here. What's the purpose? The kind of rules and guidelines seem to really speed up the process. And at the end of the day, it seems to be a great business benefit, right? IT moves faster. Your other teams work faster. A lot of businesses work faster. All these teams are working faster, collaborating better. It seems to be kind of like the key engine for companies of, you know, to get that new thing out to the market. Um, now, are you, now, are you seeing in, in your work that a lot of business people kind of are really getting that benefit of facilitation and changing the way we work and make decisions? Are you, are you seeing like a wave of transformation going across like corporate America? Yeah, you know, I, w- I don't necessarily wouldn't classify it as a wave just yet. I, th- I see the potential budding and there are certainly pockets. You know, I just met with the chief of facilitation at Microsoft last week. And, you know, the fact that Microsoft has a chief of facilitation wow. and has a group of facilitators that are available to bring facilitation capabilities to the for- forefront for employees is really phenomenal. And it's interesting because we were, we were chatting about how, you know, there, there was this view or opinion that uh, what she was doing was just kind of creating, uh, uh, you know, trying to cut costs on hiring facilitators. And it's like, actually, no, there's still going to be a lot of opportunity for outside facilitators to come in in key special moments. But if we can bring this capability in-house and make it part of like everyday work, then A, we're going to all level up as an organization and as individuals uh, in a way that is profound. And we may actually decide there, there may be more times where an external facilitator comes in because we start to value the benefits of having these perspectives. And we're getting so nuanced in our understanding that like, wow, let's, let's, really, let's really embrace this. So I think more and more companies will start to, you know, bring in these resources and or uh, we'll see groups that are really, um, I would say, uh, well suited to start taking on these facilitation responsibilities, whether they're um, uh, project managers, program managers, 
or even just leaders of any kind of cross-functional team. So design leaders, IT leaders, um, product leaders, and uh, just any technology leader, really, because those uh, skills and those uh, efforts require um, a multidisciplinary approach, right? Those teams have lots of people with different titles and different skills and different backgrounds. And in those moments, those people skills really matter. We have to be great facilitators to bring people together, to help them to relate, to help them understand, understand each other so that we can uh, really collaborate at, at the top-notch level that we have and that we're capable of. So it sounds like there's really no limitation. So anybody in the IT profession, profession, anybody from a CISO or CTO or CIO, developer, engineer, security analyst, it's not like there's a great opportunity across the board, no matter what your title is, to just literally improve what we do day to day, right? We're always in meetings, right? One way or another, there's meetings all over our calendars. So it's not like there's really no limitations for someone to get better. So you know what? I'm making the goal here of being intentional about how we're showing up, how we're meeting, while we're meeting, and getting more out of the people who are showing up in the room. Uh, so it's like a, it'll be an exciting, really kind of a new skill set that anybody in IT can really kind of kind of uh, jump onto. Absolutely, I I agree. It's a it's um, something that everyone can benefit from. And you know, another thing that's really fascinating is when companies start to become more aware of the power of these kind of facilitation skills and be how running meetings and and convening people in these ways once you really get tuned in the power you even notice your one-on-ones are different mm-hmm. so just how you're showing up and being with people feels different you also um start to notice how you show up in meetings because you start to have sympathy for those that are running the oh, meeting yeah. and realizing mm-hmm. like oh wow they they really haven't um they, no one's really helped them understand real facilitation and and so you as a participant can do little subtle things to make the experience better for everyone without ever really usurping power or dethroning them or making them feel awkward, but just how you show up as a participant, the questions you ask. You know, if you have a hunch that you think the purpose hasn't been clarified and you think people might be a little bit misaligned or have different expectations – just like yeah. really politely at the beginning of the session, you might ask, hey, I want to just make sure I understand what, what are we hoping to get out of the session today? Mm-hmm. Or, or what, what's our what's our ultimate goal at the end? Just so I can I want to make sure I'm I'm, I'm thinking through things right and, um, and giving my best attention to this. So can you help me understand what uh, what a good outcome looks like to you? Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. even though nice. a good facilitator is going to understand that premeditate it and take care of it as a participant, you can help, help people be better facilitators, even as a participant, but in a, in a non-condescending way, yeah. you know, plus being really thoughtful, uh, how you can be the best participant, understanding like, uh, what, what needs to happen in the moment. Yeah, it's fascinating. Um, now one of the things I've noticed over the years with you, uh, you've included it in your books. So you got the great famous saying, right? It's a Douglas famous saying, do the work in the meeting which just blew me away, right? Because most times we're meeting to talk about stuff, planning to do stuff, and then pass out action item, then the lead a meeting for everybody to go actually do real work, right? Quote, unquote, real work. So just 
kind of talk about that 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 concept. Like we start and have an hour. There's a lot that we can accomplish in an hour if we actually have people intentionally focusing on something very small, something definitive they can put your hands around. And if you have the right people in the room, you can get get a lot done. So talk about this concept of the doing the work, uh, doing the work inside the meeting itself, and like you know how you come up with it, and kind of it's just a fascinating concept there. Yeah, it was really born out of what originally was this idea of rapid prototyping from the design community. So let's like create little versions of things that we might go and kind of put out in the world and learn from. And, you know, I'm sure you've seen examples of people creating landing pages for a product that doesn't exist or even clickable prototypes or like, you know, little mock-ups of things so we can visualize it and see it. And, um, and then people, you know, architects create scale models all the time. Uh, if you're building a fancy home, there might be, there, you might have a little video fly through that's a 3D rendering of what this thing might be before you start, start actually breaking ground or hiring people or even getting quotes, right? And so you take that idea and then you keep iterating on it and reducing your batch size. So, so many of your IT professionals might, really understand the value in smaller batch sizes if you're into lean or Kanban. And so you, you reduce the batch size of this prototype or this iteration and your, your cycle time goes down, right? And so your learning loop gets tighter. And so you think about the idea of a prototype, an early version of a thing that can help you answer questions. And then you specifically craft it together in the meeting. So this, you you create this thing that becomes the scaffolding for what you go on to build. And the beautiful thing, let's like take a house, for example, like, and it's, it's, think of it as a metaphor, this idea of building a house. So most meetings, we're just standing on the lots where we're going to build this house. And we're just talking about how awesome the house is going to be. Right. We're like, Oh, it's going to have this and this many windows and this and that, blah, 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 blah. Right. And whereas do the work in the meeting and it's like, okay, We've got the blueprints. Let's go ahead and lay the lay the lay the foundation. Or can we like can we go ahead and like put the stakes yeah. in and mark yeah. off the corners so we can walk around the property and make sure that like does this feel right? Is this too close to these trees? Or like what's this going to be like? Or do we need to rent a scissor lift and go up in the air and see what the view is going to be like when the balcony is like you know thirty feet high or whatever it is and be like oh man five more feet would be so stunning and it would only cost us $50,000 more. That is so worth it. But if you built the whole house, it wouldn't cost $50,000 to raise it, you know? And so it's these kinds of things. If we're in the meeting and we're starting to like, what kind of little thing can we bring into the meeting and and do together? Um, So if we're, let's take an example, right? Like we're working on a presentation for our VCs or our board or whatever, uh, rather than just talking about what we want, et cetera, maybe we open up PowerPoint or if you're a Google shop, even better for collaboration because we can all have it open and be changing stuff in real time. We can create an outline for like, you know, each step of the presentation. There's an empty slide that looks hit hor- horrendous, but we're mapping out the arc of the story and we can just flip through that arc together that looks nothing like it's going to look but it's got one big word on it, which is the the key thing we want to convey on each slide. And we're locking that in together and kind of going through it and making sure it has the feel and the right message. And then we can 
then we can divide and conquer. Because now, taking, coming back to that house analogy, we staked everything off. We maybe laid the, we've laid the foundation, and we can say, "Hey, you go take this piece. I'll go take the other piece." And we can do our asynchronous work more efficiently because we've got the clarity of the stuff we did together to to, to stand on more confidently. It's interesting because I think about this. This isn't just limited to like the physical structure or like a uh, like a model airplane. You could do it for a, a process improvement. Start mapping out little square yes. boxes. Okay, let's move some some of the steps around. It could be like, hey, we got this big PowerPoint presentation like you meant. Let's start scribbling out some of this decks. It's like you could take any abstract or physical hard thing you're working on and just start working on it right there. That, that's that's quite powerful. Yeah, for sure. And I'll say this like. You know, table stakes are one person shares shares their screen, and they're making changes while other people are like suggesting things. But that's coming coming back. That's the per, the single person with the marker, right? And so, if you can find a tool that allows you to real time collaborate, multi tenant at the same time, now your meeting becomes multi threaded. For all of you software developers that know what multi threaded programming yeah. is, we can make our meetings yeah. multi threaded if we allow everyone to like function and contribute simultaneously and, you know, things like Google docs, um, Miro mural, there are lots of tools that allow you to do it in real time. And I think a lot of products are adding those features on. So it's becoming somewhat ubiquitous, but uh, I don't see enough teams doing it. So definitely try to try to avoid the screen share whenever you can and get people in the actual work. So everyone's getting their hands dirty we can get a lot more done. And in fact, like there's nothing, I would say, like I was going to say there's nothing wrong, but that, that, that doesn't even characterize it properly. I'm going to say it's a beautiful thing when everyone is like quiet and working together in the meeting. Wow. I was going to say there's nothing wrong <laughs> if everyone's working and not talking. <laughs> But it's actually a be- beautiful thing. It's, it's better than not wrong, right? It's actually amazing when you can create the conditions by which those plants are growing. So I can see a lot of opportunity, improve our collaboration, improve our uh, knowledge sharing, brainstorming, getting prototypes out there faster, experimenting, innovating, speeding up, improving scaling. So like a lot of opportunity, not only for internal teams, but obviously IT itself to really be more impactful to the business and the organizations that they work for. So I'm real excited like to, for the next decade for, for IT here. So a lot of different roles in IT, but like I said, you're not limited by the title that you have today to help make every interaction with your teammates or colleagues even better. So Doug, Doug this has been a fantastic uh, discussion. We could probably go on for hours and hours and hours, um, but I just think this is a fascinating, great start. Um, if people out there listening to this podcast, they wanted to, to reach out to you and see what you're doing at Vulture Control, uh, where can they find out more information about you? Yeah, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn, so people can find me there. Also, VultureControl.com is where you can come learn about our facilitation academy that we run, as well as our flagship facilitation certification, which is a great opportunity to build these skills. And of course, we have free um, content and events as well. If people just want to dip their toe in the water, so to speak. And, uh, uh, yeah, happy to connect and hear, hear about all the awesome work people are doing. Fantastic. Once again, Douglas, I thank you. I appreciate your time today on the smart IT podcast. Uh, everyone, we're going to sign off right now until the next episode.
Uh, once again, it's the Smart IT Podcast, where we look forward to what's next for IT. Uh, if you want to find more information, you can go to WilliamReed.info. And until the next episode, thank you very much. Thanks for joining another episode of the Smart IT Podcast, where we explore what's next for IT and disrupt the status quo, simplify the complex, and reduce risk together. If you like what you hear, please like, subscribe, and leave your comments. And for more Smart IT wisdom, check out my website at williamreed.info.